You're listening to the Life Tree Community Church Podcast, recorded on Sundays in Robbinsville, New Jersey. Our goal is to help you grow from root to fruit. Thanks for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. All right, so uh, anyway, I won't go into that. They're going to hate me more. So, um, so you still got a, you still got at least, at least a week and a half left. So it's all right. We're going to have a good time. Um, I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 26 this morning. As uh, we finish up our series on uh, on the tabernacle, I've been looking the whole summer. I've been kind of going through the tabernacle piece by piece, and I just got to say hi to somebody. Dave, Pastor Dave Bowen is here. I said, "How you doing, sir? Good to have you here. Honored to have you with us." Dave is an awesome guy. Can we give it up for Pastor Dave? Good to see you here. I didn't notice. Uh, honored to have you here. And now I'm nervous. All right, Pastor Dave's here. Um, yeah, so uh, we're doing a series on the tabernacle and uh, coming towards the end of it, next week will be our very last uh, one in the series, so uh, hopefully you've been enjoying it. Um, and the goal of the series is to help you kind of understand what the tabernacle is all about, because as you read through the Old Testament, you know, there's lots of you know details and measurements and stuff, but it doesn't necessarily tell a story, it's just describing in detail a structure like, why did God spend so much time talking about measurements and poles and all this kind of stuff? Like, what does that really have to do with anything? So to help you understand the significance of that, how that connects to Jesus, and then ultimately how worship is really the key to our relationship with God. Because this tabernacle was in the middle of the, the camp, remember? So the Israelites would camp kind of out in like a valley, and God said, I want my tabernacle to be in the middle of it, and I want you to camp around it because I want to live among you. And uh, that's what we read in Exodus chapter 25. And uh, you can see, so in, in week one, uh, we looked at the outer courts. And if you remember, we've got a diagram here. Look at that. That's a good looking picture there. So you can see this is the tabernacle. We've kind of been walking our way through this uh, step by step. I don't know if you guys can see it because these stands are like right in your way. Is it, is it in your way? Yeah, it's kind of like right in front of you. Come on, John. Move that. There we go. Is that better? Is that better? Now you can see me. That's great. Um, so it's a big rectangle. That's how God's house is. It's sort of a ranch, ranch style. Yeah, it was a big rectangle. And uh, you'd have this arrow pointing in. That's where you'd come in. You'd come in the gate, right? And he says, build me a home so I can live among you. I want to live among my people. So he comes in. And so you'd come in the gate. Everybody could get in the gate, right? Everybody who was ceremonially clean, you know, who was Jewish, they could walk in. Any, anybody. They were allowed to walk in. And uh, remember, we've, so we said, so this is, you know, a diagram of... His house, but also tells about Jesus. Jesus says, "What?" I says, "I am, I am the gate, and the sheep come in through me." Right. So you walk in through the gate, and then you've got this outer courtyard, right? It's sort of this big, big open space, and in there you'd have two elements. We'd have the altar of burnt offerings, which was like a big barbecue, right? And they would make sacrifices on there. Every time they messed up, every time they failed or broke one of the Jewish laws, they'd have to offer a sacrifice on that altar, right? And God just said, hey, keep the fire burning. I know you. <laughs> I know you just keep it going. So it was just sort of like a 24-7 barbecue, right? And we talked about the sounds of what that sounded like. So everybody's bringing animals, sheep, goats, doves, grain offerings, whatever. They're coming and they're just burning it on this altar. And they'd bring it to the priest and they would sacrifice over and over. And it was impossible to satisfy because every day that you failed, you'd have to come back with another sacrifice, right? But then Jesus said, "What? Well, I am the sacrifice, once for all time, and he laid himself down on that altar. And guess what? We don't have to do that anymore. So now we get to bring a sacrifice of praise. 
Right? We don't have to bring. You didn't come to church today with a goat in hand, you know. Thankfully, some of you may. Some of you may have one in. I don't know. If therapy goats. I don't know if anybody got therapy goat with you today. Not judging. Uh, I've heard. I've heard they're a thing. You know, there. I heard somebody in the township is trying to do therapy chickens, like all sorts of stuff. Like, you know, hey, whatever. You know, I'm not to each their own. Um, if that helps you feel better, you can have a therapy chicken. I don't know. Um, so Jesus says, no more sacrifices. I am the sacrifice. And then you move on to the, the labor, the wash basin, right? Because after doing all those sacrifices, they'd be covered in stuff. And so the priests would have to wash and clean them of just the grime of life, right? Just clean that off. And then Jesus came and said, hey, I, I'm going to kneel down. I'm going to wash your feet. And, I'm gonna, and they said, no. He says, no, you don't need to wash me, Jesus. That's, that's, and he says, listen, if I don't wash you, I don't have any part of you. He says, he says, well, then wash my whole body, right? Like, so Jesus comes, and how do we stay clean in a dirty world? We wash often. I know this is a little bit of a, a repeat for some of you. You've been here all the whole series. Some of you are kind of, you know, haven't been following along. I'm just trying to catch you up. So Jesus would wash, and then, then you go through now into these two rooms. This was sort of a separate, there was kind of two rooms. There's this whole outer courtyard, but then two specific rooms in here. The first would be the holy place. Then who could go in there but priests? Only priests. This was not open to the public. This was priests only. Oh, nope, not yet. Not yet. Go back. Priests only. Right? And so they would, they would walk into here, and there was a doorway into there, and Jesus said, I am the way. Right? And he said, I'll be, I'll be a priest. And he walks in, he gives his access. But not only did Jesus walk in, he turns around and says, and I will designate you as royal priests, a holy nation. I will call you priests. You are priests. So now, guess what? We have access now. We get to go in. We get the VIP treatment. We get to walk in. And not only that, since we're royal priests, we get to lead other people into the presence of God. We get to open the door for them and usher them into the presence of God. So we're going into the holy place now. And we walk in. Remember, then we come to the the table of showbread. Bread is always on the table in God's house. There is always bread. Right? It's always, come on, everybody loves, loves bread. Some of you are going to, have you had bread today? You had a bagel. Some of you already had bread, right? You've already had bread this morning. Some of you are going to have bread this afternoon. Get some Italian bread from Dolce's. I'm telling you, Italian people somewhere, just go get some good Italian bread. Oh, I know we had it that Sunday. We brought it that Sunday. I still wish I had some right now. But here's the deal. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He says, when you come to me, you're never going to be hungry again. All of your provision, everything you need is found in the presence of God. And again, this was a place of worship. So as you come to worship, you find that the sacrifice has been made for you. You've been washed. You've got access. It changes your identity. And now all of your provision is provided for. Your daily bread, I got you. It's always found in God's presence. We, every, that bread was always fresh. It doesn't get moldy. It doesn't get old. Right? We're not talking day-old bagels. We're talking fresh Fresh bread in the presence of God. And then you come to the, the menorah here, the light. The golden lampstand. It's at 75 pounds of gold. 75 pounds of gold. That's a $1.7 million lamp. That's a nice light. That's a nice lamp. That's not Target. That's not Target. Hey, buddy. He's, he's knocking from the back in there. It's not. I mean, that's a nice lamp, but that light represents the truth of God. Right? He says the light is always burning. Because the truth of God never fades. It never fails. It's true. It's always true. doesn't matter who lies. doesn't matter who believes the lie. doesn't matter how good they get at telling lies. The truth is always true. And no matter where you go in God's presence, the truth always exists. You always see clearly. You always see reality in the truth of God. And then you come to that altar of incense. Talked about it last week. Smelling good. How many of you have your air fresheners in your car? 
Uh, if you don't, if you don't, if you, if you didn't get an air freshener last week, they're on the back table, hopefully, and uh, you can go grab one on your way out. We had a couple extras, um, but to remind us that God said, Jesus said, I, "I will give my life as a fragrant offering. I become a fragrant offering." Right, those offerings to God, as we as we make decisions, our attitudes can be a fragrant offering to God. Our life is a constant fragrant offering to God. It's something we give to Him. We can give God pleasure. We can smell good to God. Sometimes we don't smell good. He doesn't give up on us. But there are days where we come and give our best to God, and we smell good. And everybody around us knows it. They know when we smell bad too, but they know when we smell good. They can sense it. Right? So we come into this tabernacle all through Jesus. He is the sacrifice. He washes us. He is the way. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. Right? He says, my life will be poured out as a fragrant offering. And then we come. Wow, it feels like I'm kind of feeding back here. I don't know. And then we come to the holy of holies. We're coming to that final place. That last room. We're going to read Exodus chapter 26, verse 31. We're going to, and he can read along. It'll be on the screen as well if you'd like to follow. But it's beginning in verse 31 of Exodus chapter 26. We get to that last room, and this is what we read. For the inside of the tabernacle, make a special curtain of finely woven linen. Decorate it with blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and with skillfully embroidered cherubim. Hang this curtain on gold hooks. Everything's got hooks, right? Everything's got hooks. They can carry it and assemble it because they're portable. Right? Attached to four posts of acacia wood, overlay the posts with gold and set them in four silver bases. Here's some elaborate curtain. Right? Hang the inner curtain from clasps and put the Ark of the Covenant in the room behind it. I mean, how specific is God that he's telling them to use clasps? He's even telling them what to use. I mean, this is God cares about this place. This curtain he cares about. Everything has purpose and meaning. This curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. Right? There is a clear distinction between these two rooms. The purpose of this curtain was what? What's the purpose of the curtain? To separate. To separate, to divide. Right? To keep out this from that. God's presence. You, oh, you, not just anybody can come in here. I need separation. This was exclusivity. Right? It was highly restricted access. We find out more in Leviticus. I'm going to read it. It'll be on the screen. Chapter 16, it says this. In future generations, a purification ceremony will be performed by the priest who has been anointed and ordained to serve as high priest. There's only one of those. In place of his ancestor, Aaron. So Aaron was the priest. Right When God set this all up, he says, Aaron, you and your descendants will be the priests of my tabernacle, of my house. You guys will be in charge of running this place. So, but now Aaron, you're going to die someday. And when you do the next guy in place, here's how it's going to go. That high priest, he's going to put on linen garments. Remember, we talked about all the things the priests wear. And he's going to purify the most holy place, the tabernacle, the altar, the priest, the entire congregation. It's a permanent law for you to purify the people of Israel from their sins, making them right with the Lord once each year. And Moses followed all these instructions exactly as the Lord has commanded him. The presence of God was limited Right. This is the most holy place. This is where the present, I mean, we go through. Here it is, it's limited. There's one person once a year. One person once a year. Think about that. Imagine if you could only see someone once a year. Just imagine you, there's somebody that's, you, you, that's somebody you wanted to see. 
Let's just do that. Somebody that you wanted to see, and you could only see them like your best friend. Think about your best friend. You can see your best friend once a year. That's it. Now imagine if only one person in our entire town was allowed to see them once a year. That's it. You're not even allowed. Just one. We designate one person who gets to go see that person. But forget that. It's actually this more closely. It's more, more, more like one person in our state. It was somewhere like you take about half the state. Like one person in our state gets to see God once a year, and the rest of us are just like taking their word for it. That's what it was like. One person once a year. Most people would never see God. Most of the people. Majority of the population. Because, I mean, seriously, you've got one priest, the high priest going in once a year, and how long is that person a high priest for? I don't know, you know. I mean, so, like, how many people in a lifetime are actually going to get to see God? Very few. Very, very few. So rare. Can you imagine having a connection with a God you could never see? Or never be in His presence? I mean, really... It would be really hard to just take somebody's word for it that they were in God's presence. And it wasn't that God was being a diva. God's just like, you know, like, hey, when you come in, don't make eye contact. Okay, like, I don't want you looking at me. Right? And, and I only want this kind of bread, and I want my water at 76 degrees. You know, over here, I like it a little warmer. I don't know. Like, like, God wasn't being a diva. Right? It's the reality of sin. Of how messed up people, Right? can't be in the presence of God because they were going to die. If somebody unworthy walks into the presence of a holy God, guess what? They're done. So this was God's way of protecting the people, saying, listen, one person once a year, and that person's going to have to be the high priest who goes through all these rituals and things just in order to walk into my presence once a year. He was too holy for the sinful human body to be in his presence. It's like trying to touch the sun. Like, not a good idea. This is for your good. You probably don't want to do that. Think back to Adam and Eve when they're sent out of the garden, right? It says God stations an angel with a flaming sword between his presence and them. The curtain was separating them from God because now sin has broken this sense of closeness and relationship with God and no longer can we be close. The veil was a reminder of how holy God was, how special his presence is. Listen, once a year, one person, and that's it. Exclusive. So that's what it meant. That's what, that's what that was all about. But let's talk about Jesus just for a minute. I want to talk about Jesus. I'm not going to tell you that Jesus claimed to be the curtain. He didn't. He was, I was thinking about it. We could call him the, the Damask from Damascus. That's terrible. That's a terrible, horrible pastor joke. Oh, my gosh. Like, four of you even understand it. That was so bad. Okay. When Jesus died, though, something highly unusual happened. Listen, I got a kick out of it, so I had to tell it, but it's all right. When Jesus died, something highly unusual happened. Mark 15, again, it'll be on here. Read it with me. It says this, at noon, Jesus is about to die, hanging on the cross. Darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock, three hours. Darkness, middle of the day, but it got dark. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. And one of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up 
with a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him home. They had no idea. They did not understand what was going on. And Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And let's read this sentence here. Verse 38. Go ahead. And the curtain, the sanctuary of the temple, was torn in two from top to bottom. Let's just leave that for a minute. Read that again. The curtain and the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And verse 39 says, When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, This man truly was the Son of God. Listen, I'm not making this up. It's in your Bible. You can read this. I'm not like, it's not a stretch for me to come up with this stuff. This stuff is right here. You do business with it. But as you look through the tabernacle, Blow for blow, shot for shot, you see Jesus all over it. He's fulfilling every element of the tabernacle as his body hung on the cross. The curtain that was hanging all by itself tore. Does that seem like hard to believe? So let me ask you, what do we know about the tabernacle? Who had access to that room? Only the priests could get into that room. So a select few could even be in the holy place. So only the priests could go into the holy place. So we can narrow down everybody who had access to the tabernacle to the priests. And what do we know about the priests? Um, Well, we know that like a few minutes before, they were shouting and demanding the crucifixion of Jesus in front of Pilate. So the same priests who are putting Jesus to death on the cross... How likely is it that those priests ran there and tore the curtain just when he died? I mean, they were terrified to go near that curtain. Because that was high priest territory once a year and that was not the day. They're not going to touch that curtain. They know what happens when you go behind the curtain. Right? So, what was that? Jesus dies, curtain torn. If this was actually an act of God that truly coincided with Jesus' death. What do you think that meant? That when he died, that curtain was torn. What does that mean? Fortunately, we don't have to guess. We can read it in Hebrews. It's actually really, really clear. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1, again on the screen. The first covenant between God and Israel had regulations for worship in a place of worship here on earth. That place of worship was the tabernacle. God says, here's how it's going to go. You're going to use a tabernacle. There were two rooms in that tabernacle. In the first room was a lampstand and a table and sacred loaves of bread and a table. This room was called the holy place. Remember, there was the outer courts and then there was two rooms. Holy place, most holy place. It says, then there was a curtain. And behind the curtain was the second room called the most holy place. This is Hebrews chapter 9. You can read this. Again, I'm not making any of this up. In that room were a gold incense altar and a wooden chest called the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered with gold on all sides. We'll talk about the Ark next week. And inside the Ark were a gold jar containing manna, which was the miracle food that God provided, Aaron's staff that had sprouted leaves, and the stone tablets of the covenant. And above the Ark, on top, was cherubim, little angels of divine glory, whose wings stretched out over the Ark's cover, the place that they were carved. They weren't like actual angels. They were carved. But we can't explain these things in detail now. Appreciate that. Thanks. I mean, listen, this is kind of funny stuff. I find that funny. Yeah, we can't. I got time for that right now. So let's move on. 
Verse 6, when these things were all in place, the priests regularly entered the first room, which we know, the holy place, but only the high priest ever entered the most holy place and only once a year. And he always offered blood for his own sins and for the people, the sins the people had committed in ignorance. By these regulations, the Holy Spirit revealed that the entrance to the most holy place was not freely open. As long as the tabernacle and the system it represented were still in use. As long as that tabernacle was there, and as long as that curtain was there, this is how it goes. And it goes like this. You don't have access to God. Verse 9. This is an illustration pointing to the present time. For the gifts and sacrifices that the priests offer are not able to cleanse the conscience of the people who bring them. For that old system deals only with food, and drink, and various cleansing ceremonies, physical regulations that were in effect only until a better system could be established. Remember, the high priest is the only one that can go in there. So, verse 11, so Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. And he has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and not part of this created world with his own blood not the blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Let me tell you, the tabernacle was a flawed system. It was a system. It was a solution, but it was flawed. It was not freely open. But Jesus says, I'll be the high priest. I will walk in there. And just like with the holy place, when he called us priests, you know what he does? He blows it wide open. He tore down the barrier between us and God. Because there is a barrier. But Jesus says, karate chop. Right? Chuck Norris. Right? Hebrews 10.20. And this is the verse. If you remember no verse, you should memorize this verse. Hebrews 10.20 says this. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain. Into the most holy place. New. Never existed before. It previously wasn't. You didn't have access into God's presence. We could be sitting here talking about God and he could still be contained somewhere in a building behind a curtain somewhere. Think of the Wizard of Oz, right? Do not pay any attention to the man behind the curtain, right? You think of some guy out there separated, separate, far from us. But Jesus opened a new and life-giving. See, this way, this path, this access gave life to all who journeyed on it. See, Jesus opened up a highway into the presence of God. Listen, you had no access. There was a block. But now, on the cross. See, when Jesus was on the cross, what did he cry out? Remember, he says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned or forsaken me? Why am I apart from you? Why am I separated from you? Because on the cross, all of our sin was put on Him. And when Jesus took on all that sin, God the Father cannot be near. So there was separation. Just like there has been since sin entered the world, there was separation. But for the first time, Jesus felt it. And He didn't just feel some separation. It was complete, total Absolute God, why have you abandoned me? It was hideous. 
distorted, contaminated sin and the Father couldn't be around it. Jesus felt the fullness of complete and absolute separation from His Father. And it was agonizing to feel the raw rejection of a holy God. But here's the deal. It's what sin deserves. Sin deserves rejection from a holy God. He cannot be near it. And Jesus took it on that cross. He assumed all separation for all of us. He loved us enough to accept full separation from God so that you and I would never. So now there is nothing that can ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. You begin to piece together all of the dots in the Scriptures. Love through the doors wide open. So more than any other week, here's the question. Ready? So what? So what? That's a nice theological presentation of, of the tabernacle and Jesus, but so what? August 2019, walking out into humidity, right? Like, don't want school, kind of tired of work, life. To, so what that I got access to God? What difference does it make practically in my life right now? We get to choose which part of the tabernacle we want to live in. You can spend your days living in the outer courts. And there are many people who do. Or you can walk into the Holy of Holies. It was A.W. Tozier, I believe, who said, you can have as much of God as you want. And you do. You can have as much of God as you want. And you do. The tragic reality is that far too many believe in God, yet spend their life in the outer courts on the fringes of faith and never experience the fullness of what God has for them. They believe, but they're not willing to walk deeper and closer to everything that God has for them. And there are several reasons for that. Perhaps someone might feel unworthy. Ashamed of what they've done, trapped by their guilt. You know, I, I don't belong in there. So they stay away, living at the edges of faith, close enough to be a believer. Close enough to be, you know, confused for a follower of Jesus. But never getting close enough to let God actually change and transform and provide and meet their needs at their deepest level. They just sit on the outside like dabbling in faith. Yeah, I read once in a while and I go and I listen and I think about those things, but I've got one foot over here and one foot over there. I'm just going to stay in these outer courts. I'm close enough. But never actually giving God permission to take over and be Lord. Perhaps you don't think you deserve it. Perhaps some feel afraid. Afraid of what that might look like. I might look foolish if I walk in. People might judge me. They go, man, you're one of those, you know, I don't know what they call you now, holy roller, extremists, right, conservatives. They can throw all sorts of things around. I don't know what they're going to call you. Like, you go to church? What do you, you know, nut job? That's, that's a good one. Nut job. Let's go with that. Afraid of what others might think or say. Afraid of how it might affect your business. Afraid of how it might affect your relationships, your reputation. Afraid of what it might cost you. 
Or possibly there's a different part. Maybe you're just afraid of being disappointed. You go, you know what, when I'm on the outside here, like, it's nice to know that God is in there, but I don't want to walk all the way in, and what if He's not there? What if I go all the way in and I'm let down because I've tested it and I find it lacking? What if I dive in and I don't want to get there because I don't know how I'm going to move forward if I put myself all the way out and God doesn't come through. What if it's all a fraud? So it's safer to stay in the outer courts. It's going to live here. It's going to live here. I understand and you can rationalize all of those thinkings, but here's the problem. If there is a God... And he truly sent his son to grant us access to his presence. What are we missing if we don't walk all the way in? What are we forfeiting? What are we giving up? The writer of Hebrews tells us, verse 10, we're going to go back a verse, 10 verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Right? By his death. Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts. Here comes fully trusting Him. Fully trusting Him. Welcome to faith. It takes faith to walk into the most holy place. It takes faith to walk all the way in. Anybody can stay in the outer courts. It doesn't take a whole lot of faith to be one in the crowd. But to follow Jesus all the way, you've got to trust Him. Trust that He won't let you down. Trust that He's not going to ruin your life. Trust that everything's not going to fall apart. But trust that in His presence is actually everything you desperately and dearly need. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. Our bodies have been washed with pure water. See, when you go all the way in, guess what? You discover your guilt is paid for. That guilt that you go, I don't think I'm worthy. When you go all the way in, no, you're not, but He's paid for it anyway. Done. Stamped over on the cross. What else did He say? He said, it is finished. You don't pay a single thing. Your debt is done. When you walk all the way in, your guilt is paid for. Your mess washed away. You are brand new. A new, a life-giving way. That's what you find in the presence of God. You can go right in. Nothing will separate you from God ever again. If you don't go in, if you choose to live on the outside, here is ultimately what you're saying. It's harsh, but it's true. You are saying, I'm going to hang that curtain back up again, and I'm going to tell you, Jesus, no thanks. I don't need it. I'm okay out here. You didn't have to die. You didn't have to do that. I'm good enough over here. No need. No need. Thanks, but no thanks. A lot of parents are dropping their kids off at college this weekend. A lot of tears. Some tears of joy. You know, finally, never thought this day would come. Time flies fast. I tell you, right? Appreciate every moment you have with your kids. 
remember one parent, I can't remember who said it, said, I'm watching my youngest head off to college, just now realizing I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to get them all back together again. There's no pain like regret. We easily see and feel the tragedy of time not appreciated. When someone dies or we lose someone, man, I wish I had spent more time there. We see it with people and we're, we're, it's easy to recognize that. The tragedy of not appreciating time with people, of not being present with them. Yet when it comes to God, we take his presence so easily for granted. God says, you can come into my presence and we're so busy doing other things. God, I'm going to have all eternity to spend with you. So right now I'm going to spend my time here. What we don't realize is that our time with God only enhances our time here. God desires to draw us deeper and closer to come in. Let me ask you, do you need something new from God today? Do you need something life-giving? Well, Jesus karate chopped the curtain. said, hey, come boldly. Come boldly. Make a decision. You've got to do that. You've got to choose. Come boldly. With sincere hearts. It's not a, it's, it's not a have to. It's a get to that's got to be a want to. You don't have to do this. You don't have to pursue God. He just said, I'm going to open the door for you, but you choose if you're going to walk in. And I'm going to die just to give you a chance. That's how much I love you. Just to give you the opportunity. You don't have to. You get to. Come if you want to. Fully trusting. You will not be disappointed. This hope will not lead to disappointment. If you walk into the presence of God, let me tell you, you don't have to take my word for it. Just take the creator of all things. He's good for it. He's good for it. The presence of God always delivers. I'm going to close and sing a song. I invite the team up. And here's what I want you to think about. Coming boldly, it looks like worship. So practically, what does that look like? How do we do that? It looks like worship. See, anytime you give credit to God for who he is, or for what he's doing, that's worship. Anytime you're, you're out there and you just recognize something and you go, man, you know, God, you're good, worship. Anytime you make a decision, it's worship. Anytime you trust him and follow what he asks, that's worship. And something incredible happens when you worship. Something God revealed to the tabernacle. And it goes like this. When you worship, you step forward closer into his presence. Every time you worship, you step closer into the presence of God. Worship's not just singing. Let's be clear. We can sing and that's part of it. But worship is our attitude. It is our posture. It is all throughout our day. It's those fragrant offerings to God. When I'm angry, when I'm frustrated, how I handle myself, when I've got decisions and responsibilities, when I've got work before me and priorities. 
When sin confronts me, when attacks come, how I handle those things. Do I look to God or do I look elsewhere? Every time I look to God, I put my trust in Him. Guess what? That's worship. Fragrant offering to God. I take a step forward. Every time you choose to worship God, you're walking further in. See, here's the most incredible thing about walking through that curtain. Worship transforms wherever you are into the most holy place. There's no longer a tabernacle somewhere in the Middle East with a curtain and you've got to go there to be in God's presence. You could be in your bedroom and make a decision to do something to honor God and guess what? Most holy place right here. In the presence of God right here, right now. In your car, driving. At work, at school, with your friends, on the playgrounds, in your office, doesn't matter where your day takes you. When you make a decision to worship God, you are in the most holy place. His presence is there. Worship is the access to the most holy place. Would you live differently if you were actually in the presence of God all day long? How different would your life be if you were actually in the presence of God all day long? Because you are. You are in God's presence all day long. But worship just recognizes Him. We're surrounded. This world is filled with the glory of the Lord. God is everywhere. You could be on a beach worshiping God. It's much easier at the beach. We know that. Much easier. You're stuck in traffic. Most holy place. Yeah, I know, right? Imagine. Imagine your most difficult place in your day. Where's the place that challenges you the most? Is it your workplace? Is it your home? Is it your neighborhood? Where is it when you just go, I just don't want to be... Worship God there. With your attitude with your actions and watch it transform into the most holy place. We need to give God worship He deserves regardless of where we are and who's watching. Always. A few weeks ago, we had Ability Tree Sunday here. It was awesome. We sang some songs and you know what happened as soon as we started playing? What happened? You guys were here. I mean, this front just filled with people. They ran forward. Because guess what? They didn't care what you thought. They don't care where they are. Brand new place, don't matter. Because it's not for you. My worship is for God and I don't care who's looking. I don't care where I am because He deserves it. And if I give Him the praise wherever I am, whenever I am, guess what? Most holy place, presence of God, everything I need, I'm good. I deeply desire... God would be pleased with the offerings of worship that come from this church. We pray for this. God, would you please accept the offering of this church that as we offer stuff to you, God, that you'd be pleased with it. It's not about volume and it's not about a show. The quality of our music could be Carnegie Hall worthy and it could not be worship. 
we could put on a great display and everybody would be like, man, those people, they're super spiritual. And inside could be nothing but dust and dry bones. What matters more than anything else is that we come with a sincere heart, fully trusting. God, mean it from the soles of your feet. We have been forgiven completely, washed entirely, made brand new, ordained as royal priests. We've been offered the bread of life, been called the light of the world, been transformed into fragrant offerings to bless the world. And Jesus has given us unlimited access to God the Father who gives us never-ending new life. That's what happens when God lives among you. When the tabernacle lives among you, it says God came to dwell among us, literally to tabernacle among us. No longer about a building. It's just sheetrock and carpet. It's about us. When God is here, His presence shows Thanks for listening to the Life Tree Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit us at wearelifetree.com or on Facebook and Instagram at wearelifetree.com.